Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, February 21st, 2019. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlanda is here with me, and this will uh, largely be a Zion Williamson podcast because the biggest story in college basketball has been the biggest story in sports the past 24 hours, and it really is hilarious. So uh, on Tuesday afternoon, Norlander and I were trying to decide whether to record late Tuesday in advance of Duke, North Carolina, or late Wednesday immediately after Duke, North Carolina. And we decided ultimately on Tuesday because, A, that was more in line with our normal schedule, and, B, I actually think I said something like this to Norlander. The truth is Duke, North Carolina is massive leading into Duke, North Carolina, but, like, it might just be a whatever, Duke 12-point win that, Nothing significant will happen. You know, if Zion doesn't get a triple-double and they just win by 12 and it's not a great game, like there won't be this um, need to immediately react to Duke, North Carolina. So let's just um, let's just get on the buzz in advance of the game instead of um, possibly rushing to late Wednesday night, talk about a game that nobody else really cares about anymore. And it turns out I could not have judged that uh, more incorrectly because uh, since the opening seconds of Duke, North Carolina, Duke, North Carolina has been talked about, not just in college basketball circles, but sports circles. So that's why we're here on Thursday night as opposed to Wednesday night. I made a bad decision, Norlander. Uh, Parrish, no worries, man. Sometimes, you know, we try and uh, gauge these things. We've actually been on the better side of that with just stuff over the over the course of the season and and, uh, and even last. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> a little bit of a swing of the miss. And, yes, it has been as expected. And we'll get into all the facets here. But, uh, Parrish, I will, I will open on this. Um, it is like, okay. So from the perspective of our, like our day-to-day lives, right. And, and telling my wife, like the things I have to podcast about what I have to write about, um, over the course of the, like every season parish and even during the off seasons, like college basketball has actually provided these megawatt stories, like the Louisville Patino stuff. When that broke in the preseason, the FBI stuff, the seismic nature of that story, the 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 Trey Young uh, mania from last year, the Grayson Allen tripping stuff. Now you have this, and there are plenty of more. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, pretty much, you know, every major American sport offers up these kind of these things. But the fact that this happens in the nature that it does on the biggest stage in the regular season of college basketball, with the most marketable well-known freshman in ages in the freakish way that it happens where he busts his shoe open, okay, and it's right at the start of the game. I mean, this really was a perfect storm of you could not have possibly predicted this, and it was just when we think we've kind of seen every kind of story, we've never seen it all in sports. We have never seen it all. It was initially kind of scary, too. When I saw him go down for the first, like, Four or five seconds as the camera was panning from right to left, GP, I thought, you've got to be kidding me right now. Do not tell me that Zion just tore his ACL on like the, what I was basically the first play of the game. Thankfully, it wasn't that, and he was up and walking pretty soon. But just in the immediacy of that, and then as there's kind of, of a haze as the first half is playing out, I'm like, I can't believe this had happened. I can't believe Zion Williamson just busted through his shoe after this volcanic-type hype for this game. You couldn't have possibly predicted it. And for a minute there... It looked pretty scary, but obviously, might as well mention off the top, Duke has come out, and I'm glad we're recording this since we know what the diagnosis is. Grade one, right knee sprain. He is actually day-to-day, 
and that still technically means he could go in Syracuse. I don't think he'll play in that game, but they have not ruled him out, but it is the best possible outcome for him, for Duke, and frankly, college basketball. Yeah, it was a scary moment and a weird moment because you don't see people bust through shoes too often in in such a dramatic way. It's funny, subsequently, like Nike's released a statement saying, we are investigating, we're going to get to the bottom of what happened. And I'm like sitting in my hotel, raising my hand. I'm like, "Um, I know what happened. A 290-pound man who moves like no other 290-pound man on the planet uh, asked too much of that shoe. Like that, that that shoe wouldn't bust on anybody else except Zion Williamson. You know what it actually reminded me of? That that picture that was circulating on social media last week where Zion was reaching for a ball or grabbing a ball and the ball looked like it was dented in. <laughs> yeah. Like he was denting in the ball. And people were like, Is something wrong with that ball? No, no it's just that Zion's at the risk of sounding like a broken record, he is different than anybody else. He can dent a basketball when he's just trying to hold a basketball. He can burst through a shoe like he's the Incredible Hulk because he is closer to the Incredible Hulk than than a the normal, normally built human being. <laughs> you're right, actually, and it's funny I didn't think about the uh, the ball thing, but you're right. Although I, uh, I since since Zion's okay, I'll I'll say I'm a little bit of a Zion Williamson weight truther, like. He could be 290, but I feel like he's 270. Like, do you realize how big two? Like, he's he's basically been listed at 285. Like, do we really realize how big that is? Like, maybe he is, but I I feel like he's just the weight thing has been a little bit exaggerated from what he is. I think Shashevsky also mentioned in a radio interview. I think he did Jim Rome or something. I'm or Dan Patrick. I can't remember. I think he slipped in 270. So I was kind of like, okay, that's that's. That's a twenty pound difference is pretty big, but your point remains the same. But perish. Like, even still with that, okay. Like, there's a lot of things to get into here. But one, the whole sneakerhead culture. Like this happens, people instantly know what shoe it is. I if you had shown me I'm I'm completely out to lunch on this stuff. If you had shown me that shoe and be like, Whose shoe is this? I would have I would have named NBA players and I suppose I would have eventually landed on Paul George but I have no idea how long it would have taken me to get there. And then, like, how, how are you feeling if you're Paul George right now, by the way, who has commented on it since, but, like, you get roped into this because it's your shoe. Dude, it's your shoe that he busts through. And there are questions of, like, how many times he wore the shoe. Why wasn't he wearing a different kind? Because, frankly, you know, certain schools, like Duke, Kentucky, and a few other select ones, they get versions of these uh, Kyrie's and Kobe's and Jordans and Durant's and LeBron's. I couldn't even possibly keep up with it. But they get like school specific early releases on this stuff, and it's like, it, frankly, it's a major pull in in recruiting and just that whole world. I don't quite get it, but uh, that was a a subtext to all of this. It was like the kind of shoe he was wearing, uh, why he was wearing that one, the amount of damage he did to it. I actually found that uh, kind of fascinating as we were waiting to see just how severe the injury was. So, you know, until we knew, really until the moment Mike Krzyzewski in postgame says it, it appears to be a mild uh, sprain, uh, the knee is structurally sound. There were people speculating that it could be a torn ACL. It could be the end of a season. And the one thing I don't know that a lot of people picked up on is that after Zion went to the locker room, Maria Taylor, who was the sideline reporter for ESPN, reported on the broadcast that um, he was testing his knee in the hallway. And immediately that, that suggested to me, if didn't directly tell me, that it's not a serious knee injury. Because if you tear your ACL, like speaking as somebody who tore 
who has suffered a torn ACL. That is the type of thing that they are about 90% sure it it happened within seconds of it happening. They can I, I remember the trainer. I was playing in a baseball tournament on a college campus. So there was a college athletics trainer on site, and he's the one that evaluated me. And I can remember sitting there in a lot of pain, and he really just holds my knee a certain way, holds my leg a certain way, moves it a certain way, and was like, yes, you're going to need to go to the hospital. This is probably a torn ACL. Like, they know that pretty quickly. My point being, if they think it's anything close to that, they don't go say, okay, let's see if you can move on it. Like, that's mm. not the way that goes down. So the fact that Maria Taylor says he was testing his knee in the hallway outside the Duke locker room told me that it wasn't a serious injury because, again, if it were serious, there's nothing to test. We're just going to go get the MRI as soon as possible and get the results and deal with it. It seemed to me that they knew almost immediately, yeah, he might not return to this game, but he'll be back pretty soon. Right, for sure, and that you bring up a very good point. Now, a lot of that gets lost in the midst of all this because, frankly, you know, there was a little bit of shell shock going on. And just a quick note on the game, like Duke was, uh, and we'll kind of touch on this more when we get to the Syracuse preview, but just, you know, Duke was, uh, you couldn't help but notice how they were a little bit lost. I mean, it was all, it was almost all reddish and Barrett from that point on, um, and we'll see if that winds up having to be the deal there. But credit, credit to UNC for getting a good win the way they was able to. Luke May pounded. And so they had like 62, 64 points in the paint, and that's not how UNC wins. Really speaks to how much Zion Williamson means to that team on the interior because, frankly, if Williamson had played that whole game, one, I mean, sure, obviously Duke could win. Maybe we'll see. If, if UNC had played the way it had, I think it would have won anyway, but they would have had maybe half as many points in the paint, so I thought that was a significant thing overall. Uh, I'm glad that he's okay, though. And If we want to kind of, you know, uh, swerve here into the, the greater discussion that I think that we, uh, that we plan on having, like, you know, the inevitability of what was going to happen happened. Like, in terms of he gets hurt. We find out it's a knee injury. We find out he's not going to be coming back in the game. Krzyzewski says afterward it's a mild knee sprain, which is good because even in the moment of the game, like you have NFL stars, NBA players saying, okay, he's got to shut this down, um, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to even just uh, um, hit, on the, hit on the themes of my column. I have a column up on this on CBSSports.com, but, you know, broadly speaking, it's, 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 it's basically – can we please just refrain from trying to make Zion Williamson the martyr in this, in your opinion, on you know amateurism in the NCAA model? It's kind of tacky, in my opinion, a little bit gross. He's not asking for this. He also really wants to play at Duke. But that was an inevitability. And then Thursday morning comes, and it just keeps piling on. It keeps coming, and it keeps coming. And fortunately, it's just a mild grade one knee sprain. He has said on the record that he, you know, when the whole Scottie Pippen stuff happened, you know, I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to stop playing. This is what I want to do. I want to be here with my friends. I want to play at Duke. I want to try and win a national championship. This is his only chance to play in the NCAA tournament. These are all relevant things to the the greater discussion at hand. And um, I think it being a mild uh, sprain also will dampen down a lot of that conversation because he's day to day. I mean, he, he. You know, he he seems like he should be able to return. Very soon. Like, day-to-day tells me, like, two games max probably that he will be uh, held out, and then he'll probably want to get back on the floor as soon as possible. So the decision is his. And even if it was even a little bit greater than that, and they said, okay, it'll be two to four weeks, I maintain that 
almost no injury, and not not none, but almost no injury they have. He has GP, would not remove him from the number one spot. And even if it did, number two is his floor. And he is going to be telling more companies and brands no than yes by a wide margin whenever he is able and eligible and wanting to have all those endorsements, all that money. So he is going to be getting rich soon. So all that brings me back to this. If that's all the case, let the kid make his decision, and he wants to do this. So when he does this, don't try and, you know, be the person that says he shouldn't be doing this or I wouldn't play another game. Well, it's not your life and you can't really possibly understand the situation truly that he's in because so few people have actually been in that situation. Yeah, you and I are on the the same page here. I was in studio last night, CBS Sports Network, and we were reacting to this in real time. Like right after Zion went down, we were on television and we dedicated whatever game we had on – you know, basically the halftime was talking about Zion. We weren't even really discussing the rest of the sport around the country, which is abnormal, but this was such a big story that you'd be foolish not to, to, to be talking about it. And in real time, um, I, I said something along these lines. I said, you know, first things first, you hope he's okay because, A, you, you hate to see any athlete uh, be injured in such a public way, but it's especially scary when it's someone who is – possibly worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And it is not crazy or outlandish to suggest that Zion Williamson might be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, The endorsement stuff he's going to sign, the second he's allowed to sign it, is going to be massive. And then obviously he's projected to be the number one pick in in the NBA draft, and that often leads to hundreds of millions of dollars. If he becomes anything close to what people think he can be, he will be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And then after I made that point, I said, and I hope you like the debates about amateurism and about whether prospects who are thought of this way and who have locked up a certain draft spot, um, whether they should continue to play twice a week on national television for no paychecks, because those debates are going to be going into the night and all day on Thursday. And they went into the night and all day on Thursday. And like I said, you and I are mostly, if not completely, on the same page here. Um, The only thing I've ever said on this topic is that the student athletes should be um, properly educated on the risk that are involved and understand all the pros and cons, and then they should do whatever it is they wanted. If the number one prospect in the class of 2019, so let's call him James Wiseman, decided that he did not want to risk whatever future he has by playing college basketball and, um, and not competing um, for something less than a paycheck, if he didn't want to do that, I would not criticize him at all. I would understand that point of view. Similarly, if Zion Williamson really did shut it down, I would not criticize him. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think he's risking much, but I do imagine there is there is an inherent, rich, um, an inherent risk on some level when you are playing basketball um, competitively in advance of you getting drafted and being able to sign an, an NBA contract. So... I, I I get the I understand the sentiment, but two things I think get missed by the shut it down crowd. One is that, and you touched on this. What is he really risking? What injury could he suffer that would make him something other than what he's going to be in the NBA draft? He's going to be the number one pick right now. If he would have torn his ACL last night, he's going to be the number one pick in the draft. You know, this isn't like Michael Porter Jr. who's got a back problem, and that did cost him on draft night. 
you know, what normal basketball injury could he suffer that would actually cost him something? I really don't know that there is one. So he's not actually risking it nearly as much as people think he's risking. And at max, going forward, he can only play 14 more games at Duke. If Duke play, if he plays Saturday and then plays every other regular season game, and then Duke plays three games in the ACC tournament and six games in the NCAA tournament, wins the national championship, the maximum amount of games he can play going forward is 14. He's not really risking that much. Beyond that, to say that once you've got a certain draft status locked up, and this is where Scotty Pippen was on board even before the shoe exploded on Wednesday night. Scotty was like, Zion's the number one pick in the draft. Shut it down. To suggest somebody should do that is to imply that the stuff that they're doing right now has no value to it. That there's no value to play in a year of basketball on the biggest stage college basketball could possibly provide for the biggest brand in college basketball, for the GOAT coach, and with your best friends. That there's no value to that. And that there's no value to the enjoyment that comes with being the big man on campus and one of the biggest sports stars in this country. And that there's no value to winning a national championship or an ACC championship or going and trying to win a game in Chapel Hill or sweeping Virginia or establishing yourself as the national player of the year or establishing yourself as this guy who's going to sign um, marketing deals probably unlike any rookie signed since LeBron James. Like, there's real value in all that stuff. And if Zion didn't care about it, like if he actually came out and said, yeah, but I don't care about any of that stuff. So that's why I'm going to shut it down. I say, okay, I hear you. But once it's established, he's on the record. That is all stuff he's dreamed about for years and all stuff he's loved doing, he's, he's loving doing right now. The shut it down crowd should acknowledge that um, maybe shut it down runs counter to what it is he wants to do with his own life. And as long as he understands whatever risk is there, um, man, you should just enjoy watching him and and let him make his own decisions. It's also antithetical to the very nature of who he is and most of these players are. They want to play. They want to play in these environments. They want to play for a program like Duke. There's also the immense, massive, long-term, frankly, ego boost and benefit of being a Duke guy. You're forever connected to that school, that coach, those players. Like, that stuff that pays off – 5, 10, 30 years down the road. Like, how many players do we see on TV, have we talked to in person, who have this immense pride and thankfulness about, you know what, I, this is my school. I went here. I remember these days fondly. Not even the dudes that even won national championships, just the guys that got to play in the tournament or experienced that for one, two, three, four years. And then when they're 57 years old, it's a huge part of their identity. No matter where they played in the NBA, how many teams they played with, in a lot of cases, if you're a school legend, you only played at one school. I think that also has significant long-term value and can't be understated. But particularly, like, Zion Williamson he wants to freaking be the best, most well-known college basketball player at Duke and the biggest story um, in college basketball and among the very biggest in all of basketball and sports this season. So it also sells him short there. And one one talking point amid all this stuff, like, and also as as frankly, and I'm I'm loving the fact that so many of our media colleagues uh, have pointed us out. You know, Sam Vecini, Rob Doster, Jeff Eisenberg, among plenty of others, things can happen at the same time and be true. Like. 
we have issues with the amateurism model, and we are not going to take this uh, to the debate floor on this podcast again because we've done it plenty of times. We'll do it again, and we don't have the time. Like, we have issues with it. Zion Williamson should be able to be rich right now off of his name, image, and likeness, but he's not. But that doesn't mean that what he's doing is some sort of joke. And frankly, DeMarcus Cousins' rant, which got publicity on Thursday, it was only a, it was like a half-truth. A lot of what he said there I didn't totally agree with. College basketball is not, and spare me here, a quote, you know, it, it's not all bullshit. I, you know, that takes is BS in my opinion. There is so many benefits to what is happening and what Zion Williamson is doing here. He would have been a very marketable player had he never played in college, but it is undeniable that Duke has boosted his level of fame and recognition to such a height that he would not have even sniffed if he didn't do that. I would think you would agree with me on that, GP. And my last point is this. A lot of people in making this point about Zion Williamson got hurt. He blew out a shoe. Duke has this massive Nike deal. Coach K gets all this money. All these people were there courtside. And the tickets were going for $6,000. They're not seeing any of it. The ticket stuff is completely meaningless. Those prices are the secondary market. No one at Duke, no one affiliated with Nike is seeing that money. Those That's the ticket brokers. Those are people selling it on the secondary. When the Super Bowl has, has the markups jack up, those players don't get the money either. So this whole, like, they were playing a game and tickets were going for $5,000 and $6,000. So those players don't see any of the money. That's completely irrelevant. It spoke to the gravity and importance of the game. And frankly, in a national title situation, the, the prices wouldn't be that high because the building is bigger. But that happens all the time. My last thing is this. When we talk about injuries, also acknowledge how far modern, modern medicine has come. And that's why, frankly, playing basketball isn't as much of a risk as football. And while the crowd in football has gotten a little bit louder, it, to me, the issue is more with 18, 19, 20-year-old football players, that game as opposed to basketball, because your chances of getting hurt and the very nature of how easily they will cut you and how the star power is significantly less if you're not a quarterback in football, way different from basketball. The point you make about Zion increasing his worth in every way while being at Duke um, is something that I think has also got lost in some conversations. People act like Zion has been this thing forever. You know, in high school, he was just the guy on YouTube dunking. Nobody thought he was going to be the best player in college basketball. Nobody thought he was going to be the best player at Duke. Nobody thought he was going to be the number one pick in the draft. You can't go back to November 1st and find a mock draft on the planet that had Zion Williamson going first, that had Zion Williamson as a national player of the year. Didn't exist. So you, it is true that Zion Williamson was famous long before he got to Duke, but he was not thought of in the ways that he's thought of now. He has, from a marketing perspective, made, I think you could reasonably say, tens of millions of dollars since the season opener that he played at Duke to today. And it doesn't mean that, well, that's that's good enough. The, the, you know, give him a cost of attendance stipend and a and a scholarship, and allow him to build his brand. And that's student athletes should be happy. No, the amateurism model is corrupt and wrong to its core. I'll never stop screaming that. But it doesn't mean that players can't also benefit from the system in place, even if the system in place isn't perfect. And Zion Williamson has probably benefited. Thank you. In terms of future wealth from the system that is in place, even if it's flawed, more so than any other player in college basketball, if not any other player in college athletics uh, over the past year. I do want to get into my Trey Young back and forth on Twitter. Let's do you it. Because, okay, so full discretion. Now, I don't – you were you were about to tell me before we recorded this, but I missed this. And, and 
go ahead, lay it out. I I am uh, I am definitely intrigued. All I know of this is I did see Trey Young tweet on Wednesday night that Zion Williamson needed to shut it down. So I'm guessing that you went back at Trey Young. But anyway, lay it out for me. I actually didn't go back at Trey Young because that's not my style. Um, really, all of this I was. I barely slept last night. I you know, did a radio show early today, was getting ready to go into studio to host Time to Shine on CBS Sports Network. And I just had, sort of had this thought in my head, like, and it had really been there since last night. Like, who is Trey Young to say Zion Williamson should, should, should shut it down? Like, maybe Scottie Pippen is in a different place to say that because Scottie Pippen never, quote unquote, had a real opportunity to shut it down. But Trey Young... If 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 the idea is that Trey Young thinks Zion Williamson should quote shut it down, so he doesn't risk anything because he has established himself as the number one pick in the draft, how different is that than where Trey Young was on February twenty first of last year? And so the point I made, the tweet was, um, if if uh, it's something along the lines of if Trey Young really thinks Zion Williamson should shut it down. I wonder why Trey Young didn't think Trey Young should shut it down last season uh, when he, just like Zion Williamson, uh, had a tremendous start to a college basketball season, um, uh, solidified himself as a favorite to win National Player of the Year, and uh, and solidified himself as a as a probable top five pick. And I, I didn't add him or tweet it at him, but somehow it got in his hands, right? And so he responded in the following way. He said, a player who was on no draft boards coming out of high school, laughed at for choosing to stay home for school instead of going to the Blue Bloods, someone who needed to prove a point in college that he could play in the league, can't just shut it down. It's different. And I, like all of that is true. Trey Young could not have shut it down in August of 2017. Right? Right. Keep on no draft boards. But Trey Young is telling Zion Williamson on February 21st to shut it down. Well, on February 21st, do you know what Trey Young was? Uh, leading the nation in scoring and assists and among the leading candidates, or not the leading candidate to win National Player of the Year. And a consensus top five pick. Somebody went back today after Trey Young and I went back and forth on this and found four mock drafts from late January, early February. Like three of them had Trey Young going in the top three. And another one had him going fifth. But he was in the top five of basically every mock draft. So I tweeted back. Then I did tweet back at him. My point is that you could have certainly, quote, shut it down by February 21st if you wanted. Because by then, you had already proven everything you needed to prove to be a top five pick. The only difference between you on 221.18 and Zion on 221.19 is about four draft slots. And that is undeniably true. So what Trey Young is saying is that he couldn't have shut it down on February 21st for whatever reason, but Zion should shut it down on February 21st. The implication being Zion has locked up the number one pick. Why would you risk that? Well, do you know what the number one pick in the draft is guaranteed? Everybody thinks it's like a football contract. It's two years, $14 million. Now, there's a team option that's going to get picked up. Of course. But what you are guaranteed when you are selected first in the NBA draft is a two-year, $14 million contract. And Trey Young, by his own tweet, says Zion shouldn't be risking that. He should shut it down. But this time last year, if you'll concede the point that Trey Young was a top-five pick, and by the way, some people will not concede that point on Twitter, even though every mock draft we can find 
published around this time, had him as a top five pick? And how the hell did he become a top five pick um, after February 21st? Because he wasn't good late. All right, if you take remember. it easy. <laughs> like, hey, if Trey Young established himself as a top five pick, that was done. <laughs> that was done by like middle of January, as long as we're telling the truth. He sure as hell didn't help himself after February 21st, right? I would actually, so, yeah, Parrish, I know you're on a roll here, but I, 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 as you're saying this, I'm thinking like end of last February, I don't know. I remember that still being – it's still being a debate as to whether you could trust him with a top five pick, but unquestionably, like when we were in the starting the Big Twelve season, he was like really hot. Like, I, th- I what you're getting at, I think, is accurate. There was more momentum earlier in the season. Than later, I have another thought, but finish finish your thing, and I'll I'll send it back. My bottom line is this: Trey Young thinks on February 21st that Zion Williamson shouldn't be um, risking his status as the top pick in the draft. And by, by extension, what that means is risking two-year contract worth $14 million. Well, Trey, the fifth pick in the draft, you know what they get? Two-year contract worth $9 million. So you can't – it's crazy to risk the two-year $14 million contract, but the two-year $9 million contract, just say, hey, keep playing. And, and here's the truth. Zion's got more to play for. By February 21st, 2018, Trey Young wasn't playing for a national championship or a Big 12 title. Zion's actually playing for an ACC title and a national championship. My point being, Zion got more reason to play than Trey Young's got reason to play. And the idea that Trey Young wasn't on a single draft board as he entered his freshman year has literally nothing to do with the point that Trey Young thinks Zion should shut it down today, February 21st. And on February 21st, just a year ago, Trey Young, if you really subscribe to that opinion, that a somebody who has secured a certain draft spot that guarantees millions and millions of dollars, that person should shut it down. Then Trey Jones should Trey Young should have uh, shut it down um, last February. And the fact that he didn't even consider it, but now thinks he knows what Zion Williamson ought to do, just seems crazy to me. All right. So there's also the very nature that Zion took an injury and Trey didn't. Uh, I think that needs to be acknowledged as well. I because th- uh, because well because the whole thing is like this is only happening with Zion Williams because he got hurt. So uh, ex- okay, no, he he's day to day. By the way, I know right? he Let's, is. I know, but, forget. The, but, like, the tw- but the tweet what the tweet didn't come when he was day to day. So in the midst of all of this, I think that's important. Okay, the, as you're going on this thing, first of all. Picking fights with NBA players, and and you have learned about. Okay, so I bring up Trey Young's page about two minutes ago, dude. You got title waived because what happened here is that you started talking about Trey Young, and then he picks up on it. His tweet is at three point three thousand retweets, twenty one thousand likes, and these NBA players, man, they got online armies. So what's I can only assume. I can only. No, I can only assume, you- <laughs> dude. I can only assume you have been getting just sliced by randoms on Twitter. I don't even know when you started this thing, but this is actually hilarious. Uh, like, you do have a lot of valid points. I think Trey has a, has some as well. I actually kind of agree with both of you a little bit, but it's just funny that he picked up on this because I see, I, like, okay, I, I, you didn't even at mention him, but you know, Twitter narks left and right. That's that. This might have been an inevitability, but oh, that's funny, man. That's good stuff. Well, that's why then I just make the, the, the last point that I make. Like, yo, man, uh, my point is uh, you could have shut it down on February 21st of 2018. You'd have still been a top five pick. I don't know why you think Zion should shut it down when he's the number one pick in February, but you wouldn't consider shutting it down when you were the fifth pick in February. Like, what? Like what? 
Is, well, you he really could still because because Zion's not going to go any higher. I guess if you're if you want me to make a devil's advocate argument, like Trey Young still like particularly because Oklahoma was stumbling, like needed to get into the tournament, and he could have theoretically still gone higher on draft boards. That would be the devil's advocate argument. But I do get what you're saying. This is good, man. Ah. Oh. I can't no, believe it's I why missed you have this. to leave it at that because at some point you can't argue with every single person because they what they do is they pick up on his talking points, then they just repeat them back to you, and they don't matter. It doesn't matter if they're nonsensical or not. So I got like seventy thousand people. It feels like <laughs> saying, yeah, "Yeah, but Trey Young wasn't even in the first round coming out of high school." That is not what I'm talking about. <sighs> it's not like Trey Young said Zion Williamson should shut it down before the season started. Then Trey Trey Young's in a, a, a decent place to make that point if he wants to make that point because he was never in a similar situation heading into his freshman season. But Zion Williamson, in his current situation, the 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 perception of Zion and the phenomenon of Zion is vastly different than whatever Trey Young was. But in terms of what they're actually risking and what they mean by that is money, Zion is in no better position from a NBA contract right now to get that much more money than Trey Young was uh, literally a year ago today. That's my only point. And the fact that Zion, I had some people say, yeah, but Zion got hurt, so that's why he should shut it down. Well, if Zion, people who get hurt don't have to, quote, shut it down. I don't know why this is hard for people to understand. If you can't play because you're hurt, you didn't shut it down. You just didn't play because you're hurt. Shutting down is something that can only be done by healthy players. You're healthy enough to play? Yes. Are you going to play? No. Why not? Because I'm shutting it down. If somebody can't play, they didn't shut anything down. (laughs) They just can't play because they're hurt. So it's like, yeah, Zion should shut it down because he's hurt. Uh. Well, no, Zion can't play because he's hurt. But he's presumably going to be healthy again soon. And the implication from Trey Young is when he's healthy enough to play, he should not play. I just think that's a crazy thing to say if you were damn near in the same situation he was a year ago and kept playing to the very end. Taking taking L after L after L. By the way, <laughs> this, okay. So the tweet came at four thirteen. You've been living with this for four hours. I don't even know how this didn't come up in our side text message conversations. This is great. Like I I know you, GP. You have been <laughs> this this has been draped around your shoulders. Oh, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Well, hey. what what <laughs> this is exactly why, by the way, and it, I wasn't trying to like we actually turned the whole segment on Time to Shine into this. <laughs> we did the, we did the Trey Young tweets and everything else. And uh, Evan Washburn was in studio with me. He was like, "So you were fired up?" I was like, I, "That's the thing. I wasn't even fired up. I wasn't trying to pick a fight. It's just once he picks up on this, it turns into a bigger thing. Yeah. And uh, and then you can't fight it because it's you know it's it's only so many characters at a time." And it doesn't matter how clearly you make your points. They will just get lost on the people who are going to be coming back at you, repeating his talking points that really don't line up with the point I was making at all. But, uh, yeah, my Twitter mention has been on fire. That's undeniable. Oh, that's good stuff, man. Just, yeah, you got to watch it's particularly like, you know, these uh, celebrities of, of many kinds, but, you know, these athletes, they've got they've got armies, man. You do, that's, you do not want to step on that turf. That's uh, – that is uh, – that's funny. Ah, all right. Good deal, man. <laughs> all right. Let's move on. Norlander had a story on Wade Sims, the um, murdered LSU player, uh, earlier this week. We'll get into that next. But first, check this out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. So, Norlander, you had a story earlier this week that is uh, tragic, heartbreaking. Uh, you can pick the word. It is on Wade Sims, who was uh, shot and killed uh, in the preseason. And um, for anybody who hadn't read it yet, go to CBSSports.com. You can find it. Go to my Twitter feed or Norlander's Twitter feed. You can find it. And it just opens um, with uh, the scene of how Will Wade finds out that one of his players has been shot and killed. And uh, I'll let you tell the story, but it's just, you know, when you're a coach or father or brother or anybody and you get that phone call and it's people you care about telling you somebody you care about is no longer with us. And the reason is because they've been shot and killed. Uh, Knock on wood, I've never actually gotten that phone call, but uh, I imagine it's just a nightmare. Yeah, I won't. Uh, I won't run through the whole story because I do encourage listeners to please go give this a read. Um, it is not. It is not a positive story. This is not a you know team thriving in tragedy story. No, this is a terrible story. This story sucks. This story should not have happened. Period. And it does open with the fact that Will Wade, um, like uh, pretty much every uh, college coach, uh, college basketball coach, you know. On Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights during the season, you just don't know what trouble your players might find themselves in. So he sleeps with his phone on his pillow, and in late September, he got a call just before 1 in the morning, and it was from one of his players, and it was, in fact, another player that was on the line um, kind of telling him what had happened to to Wade Simmons, and he's he's yelling, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead on the phone. It's, it's, it's an awful, awful thing. And as he's getting that call, Wade Simmons' parents are getting a call, Skyler Mays, who's on LSU, who is Wade Sims' best friend since they were seven, eight years old, he's waking up to a flurry of text messages, none of which are telling him what happened, but they're just saying, I'm so sorry, Sky. Be strong, thinking of you. He has no idea what's going on. Um, and then, like, so Wade, sh- Wade Sims was shot in the head and neck and killed. Video of that apparently circulated on social media, which helped the police actually... Uh, handle this case in a quicker than normal manner, but it also helped identify Wade, frankly, and I didn't search out the video. I talked with Wade Sims' parents about this. They refused to watch it. They say that people who have seen the video, um, and I don't even know what form it's in. I don't know if it was on Twitter, if it was one of those things where it was on Snapchat and then it expired Instagram. I don't know, but they said they knew people who watched it and threw up as a result of it, Um, but 
Yeah, like Wade, Wade Sims would have been a rotation player, a player who was expected to take a big step. And this is an LSU team that has uh, dealt with some other issues as well. But this was, I mean, this is just, this is a horrendous story. And so they obviously haven't forgotten him. LSU has had a good season. There's no doubt about it. They've had, they actually, you know, in a, in a classic issue of a, of a writer's jinx, um, you put, you run a feature a day of a game that, that the, uh, the, the, the feature subject uh, plays and then, a loss will happen. That happened. They lost to Florida on Wednesday night. But regardless, they're 21-5, and 11-2, doing well in the SEC, and they've won a couple of close games. And I talked with Skyler about that. Skyler was incredible to talk to. Um, and this is a kid who's playing without his best friend. Like, he thought – Wade Sims was, was killed all of six hours before he was supposed to have his first official practice of the season. They went to a concert for homecoming festivities at Southern University. Wade was making sure that actually his friends and everyone was good. They could drive home. Everyone was safe. And then for reasons that still aren't entirely known, one of his friends got jumped by by other people. And then he was needlessly killed by gun violence. It's a gross, disgusting story. And, you know, in wake of that, he, he winds up carrying his friend to the grave like eight days later. It's completely heartbreaking. You know, his parents, his father played at LSU. Um... They, you know, only child, and th- his mom was just amazing to speak with. You know, I cannot even imagine what it is like to be them right now. You know, the players, his friends, like, they're going through a ton, the coaching staff, without a doubt. But his parents, like, he grew up in Baton Rouge. Like, he was he was born to play for LSU. He was there with Skyler, his best friend. And uh, it all just, it ended real quick, man. And, um, you know, Will Wade told me that he actually, he hasn't, been asked about this as much as he thought that he might have. Um, now that LSU is good and we're kind of drifting into the late February, I think some of that might change a little bit. I believe actually um, Turner went down to do uh, something of a video feature that might run in March. But there's other elements to the story. I don't want to like you know give up everything here, but it is just a it is a terrible story, man. This team is broken forever. Like they're playing well and they've got they've you know they've coped with uh, with this. They haven't changed this locker. Um, and what Will Wade shared with me, which I thought was one of the more um, powerful anecdotes, like it's normal for teams to study conference tape of your opponents from the previous season as you prep, but Will will not. The staff won't show him that because Wade Sims is on that tape, and it could really throw him. Like it's a major trigger. But the coaches kind of need to do their job so they do it, and still even for them, like it's jarring. And uh, and yeah, man, it's just it's 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 a terrible story. Um, and, uh, yeah, he wore a number 44, just like his dad at LSU. And, um, he will be named as the LSU SEC legend at this year's SEC tournament. And it was, uh, I was, I was very appreciative of everyone that spoke to me for the story, including Will Wade, who with full disclosure, um, you know, this happens. And then two weeks later, the federal trial stuff comes out. So, uh, you know, I owed it to him and to the story to talk, to ask him about that. And he gave me a quote and then he said, you know, Matt, I'm just not going to give you anything else on the record. I said, that's fine, but it's undeniable. LSU has been a good team. It's gone through this. And then amid all that, frankly, a lot of people have wondered, okay, is LSU going to be investigated by the NCAA? They're separate trials, but they've, there are things that have been attached to this team that have happened in the background. So that's even touched on in the story a little bit. So uh, whenever you catch LSU on television, just, you know, think about the players there. They've gone through a lot. They've done a lot of grieving. They still continue to grieve. Skyler said, this is just never going to be normal for me um you know it has it gotten easier I don't even think so um and I actually believe that for a lot of these players like a lot of the emotional impact of this will happen once the season stops once that's over but we wait and see LSU's got a huge game at home Saturday 
against Tennessee. Don't know if Wade's parents will or will not be there. They live close, obviously. They go to some games, but his mother told me that sometimes, man, it is just so emotional and tough for her to even walk into that arena. So please, for their sake, if you can find the time, uh, I'd appreciate it. Give it a read and uh, you know, keep the family of Wade Sims in your thoughts. You can find that at cbssports.com or, again, on Norlander's Twitter feed or my Twitter feed. Sad story, tragic story, but a story that's, uh, that's well done. So it is a busy weekend in, in college basketball, even if we haven't talked about a single game yet. So let's bounce through some notable games, and we'll take them in the order that they're going to be played, starting with number three, Virginia, at number 18, Louisville. It's Saturday noon Eastern. It's on the ACC Network. So a rare game between top 20 teams on the ACC Network, and Louisville's in a bad place. Uh, two and four past six games. Um, obviously, big collapse against Duke. Uh, 23-point lead evaporated, and then they lose on their home court. And Chris Mack uh, acknowledged after another loss on Wednesday night that maybe they just haven't emotionally recovered from that. And if you're not emotionally recovered, about the last thing you want to see coming into your building is is Virginia. This is a tough spot for Louisville. Yeah. um, I got a weird feeling, though, GP. I got a feeling Louisville's going to play well. Um, Could be in for – Quite a weird weekend, but yeah, they've they've been they've been slipping up here and there, and, and you know, whereas they once had, uh, I think Louisville fans had, hey, maybe we can get like a four seed. The, the hopes of that have pretty much uh, expired, barring an unthinkably good run uh, down the stretch here and in and winning the ACC tournament. But I uh, I think Louisville is going to keep it close. I I'm going to take. I don't know what the line is yet, but um, I think Louisville will. I think Louisville will lose by a bucket, basically. So if if the line is Virginia minus three and a half or larger, then I'm going to take Louisville to cover, and I'll take Virginia just barely to eke out a win. Yeah, I had to do a a video for uh, CBS Sports HQ, and I think I had the final score: Virginia 63, Louisville 59. I, I do think that Virginia wins the game. Because remember, this is a team that's only lost twice, and both losses are to Duke. And so they've been operating at an extremely high level. They just beat Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech earlier this week. If you can win at Virginia Tech, you ought to be able to win at Louisville, particularly um, considering the way Louisville's been playing lately. Uh, but I, I do think it'll be uh, a close game. But but we'll both have Louisville. I mean, we'll both have Virginia winning the game, right? Yeah. Uh, I, yes, but I do. I, uh, it's obviously possible Louisville could really just fall on his face, but I, I actually think that they're going to show up pretty well, and this will be this one will be in doubt with two minutes to go. A number five Tennessee plays at number thirteen LSU. That is Saturday noon Eastern. It's on ESPN, and um, LSU. I don't want to say took a bad loss on Wednesday night because it was a loss to a a Florida team that is top thirty five in the net. I think top thirty five at Ken Palm, but it was an overtime loss that. Um, obviously, by definition, could have very easily been a win. And it really might be the thing that cost them uh, an SEC championship because as we head into this weekend, Tennessee is 12-1 and in the league, Kentucky 11-2, and LSU 11-2. and And so uh, if Tennessee is able to win this and create separation with LSU, and given that uh, Tennessee-Kentucky play once more, but that'll be a Knoxville, I guess I'd bottom line it this way. Tennessee wins this game on the road at LSU. Uh, you could almost be assured they're going to at least share a second straight SEC title. Yes, but I'm going to take LSU to win this one. I think that this will be another game that's very good, very close. 
LSU had Tremont Waters taken a bit of a better shot in overtime. Maybe they get a better look, um, and then maybe it's maybe it's a different situation altogether. Tennessee didn't respond the way that I thought it would when it beat Vanderbilt at home at 158-46 on Tuesday night. I thought I thought Tennessee was going to romp them, like to the point of like a 30-point win. It wasn't like that at all. Um, so I, I don't know. I. I'm not selling on Tennessee by any means, but you know, ask them to go in and win at LSU. That's no, that's no automatic there. So I will take uh, Skyler Mays and and Will Wade and uh, you know, Wade Sims's uh, former teammates. I'll I'll take them to uh to win this game. And I would I will say I would be surprised if by if if either team wins by double digits here. I think this game will be decided by single digits, and I'll I'll ride with the home team. As always, I'm rooting for the top 25 and one. I have to constantly hear every single morning that I tweet a link to it from Kentucky fans who can't understand why I have Tennessee still ahead of Kentucky. They think that that one game played last Saturday night should um, should should have Kentucky in front of Tennessee. And uh, like I often say, there's a case to be made that Kentucky should be ahead of Tennessee right now. I, I can acknowledge that, but I don't think it's crazy to have Tennessee ahead of Kentucky. But if Tennessee loses again, second straight weekend, I gotta hear for all about it from Kentucky fans. I can't. That's no. If I can't spend my life listening to Trey Trey Young fans and Kentucky fans uh, going at my Twitter mentions nonstop, so I have to go. Uh, I have to go with Rocky Top. I have to go with Rocky Top down in Baton Rouge. It's the only way my Twitter mentions stay calm this weekend. There's no chance. Trey Young has added you. You're gonna be feeling the aftershocks <laughs> of that for at least a week, my bud. Oh, no. Number 16, Florida State is at number 8, North Carolina. That's Saturday, 345 Eastern. You can watch that on CBS. That's America's most watched network. It's America's most awarded network. It's the network of stars. And obviously, North Carolina comes in on a high. They just win at Duke. And obviously, Zion wasn't involved. But either way, a win at Duke. They have won 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 of their past 10. Lone loss in that stretch is against Virginia. But look at Florida State. On a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 game winning streak right now, uh, they have moved into the top 20 at Ken Palm, 21 and 5 overall. I feel like it's mostly off the national radar, but my God, Leonard Hamilton is doing an incredible job with this team. He, I, I agree. It has been a little bit off the radar. I've done some uh, some chatting about him on, on CBS Sports HQ, but for the general purposes, Florida State has not been quite getting its due. If it gets a win here, then I think that changes dramatically. I will ride North Carolina. What UNC did, even without Zion, whatever. Like, they get a great win. They 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 hand Duke the fifth, I think it was the fifth largest margin of defeat at home, uh, either under Krzyzewski or ever. It was also the first, uh, the last time Duke lost at home as, a, as the number one team was to Carolina in 2006. And the last time a team lost at home that was ranked number one by that many points hadn't happened since 1999 when uh, I think Nova knocked out UConn. So UNC, what it did to Duke, who's still loaded with plenty of talent, was extremely impressive. I think they'll they'll continue that here. Um, now, Florida State's got the players to match up, but overall, and the UNC, let's remember, they're not even fully healthy, fully a go. Leaky Black, not involved yet, but hopefully soon. Give me the Tar Heels, and I'll throw out a score on this one. I think they'll they'll get their way. Um, I'll, I'll say like 89-80, Roy Williams' team wins. And in doing so, by the way, like it's still not out of the number one seed conversation. Winning this game would still keep him in the thick of that. Yeah, I'll go North Carolina as well. I'm not going to pick against them at home um, when I think they're probably, even though Florida State has been tremendous 
And as on a roll, I still think North Carolina is the better team, and I'm not going to pick against the better team at home. So, um, yeah, I think the Dar Heels uh, get this one, but I won't be surprised if it's it's competitive. Uh, there's going to be number one Duke at Syracuse. That's on Saturday night, 6 Eastern. It's on ESPN. And obviously at this moment we do not know if Zion Williamson will play or not. Um, you said earlier you're doubtful that he'll play. I think that's if you made me pick one or the other, Zion plays or does not play. I think I'd go with does not play because – and I don't think this should factor into the decision. Like it, it, the, the trainer should make the call. Is he healthy enough to play or not? But can you imagine what happens if they <laughs> run it after people are saying he should shut it down and then they run him back out there on Saturday and something happens? And even if it's unrelated to what happened on Wednesday night, I mean, like it really would just create an incredible storm and a, and a little bit of a PR problem for Duke, even if it would, it would be totally undeserving. Two things can be true at once yet again. This should be Zion Williamson's decision if he wants to continue playing college basketball and all of that stuff. But I really think that the coaching staff and the trainers should look out for Zion Williamson's well-being in this. If he feels like he can go and he wants to go, I would still absolutely hold him out for this game for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, you know what? There are other things to consider because Duke is trying to win an ACC championship. They're trying to position themselves. And another loss, like – this stuff has real ramifications in terms of like where they might be placed in the bracket, what region they might go to, D.C. as opposed to Louisville or Kansas City. Like You just don't know. So that stuff will be taken into account as well. I really would sit him. I do think that he will sit. And since we're talking about this game, we also have to touch on the fact that uh, just horrible, horrible news came out uh, in the early morning uh, on Thursday. Uh, Jim Beheim, uh, when he was making his way home, uh, struck and killed a pedestrian on the highway, and I, what a terrible story! Now you know, as local, there was a press conference that was held in Syracuse. Beheim is not facing any sort of charges. He, there were no drugs, no alcohol, none of that was in his system. He was completely helpful in the situation and really acted, uh, you know, not only appropriately but from all all accounts, like above and beyond what was asked of him. Um, so, my, GP, you know, you can talk on that, but my two thoughts here are this. One, would not fault Beheim at all if he frankly took a week away from coaching. Now, I, I think he will coach in this, but it might be best for him. Like, Parrish, he is now uh, – he has been involved in an event that is responsible for the death of another human being. That is extremely heavy. That is, that is something, no matter how old or young you are, in taking that information and the amount of guilt and responsibility, even when it's an accident – like that's extremely heavy stuff there. So, I, I would I would think that he is planning on coaching the game. But if he has a real sit down with his team, with his athletic director, most importantly his wife and his family, and they say, "Listen, Jim, if you want to like you know, your stature in this game in this sport is not going to be affected by if you don't coach this weekend. We really think that you should take the time away." I you know I. I who knows if it would be better for him or not, but I, I think that possibility should at least be be lobbed out there. Uh, our, absolutely, our, our thoughts are with uh, with the victim, his family, and uh, and Beheim because that is just I mean it, it it is a freak story and and a terrible a horrible story. ESPN is pulled out of holding its game day festivities because of that, and I also think that is absolutely the right call because frankly the tenor over that building that city right now is not a good one. So game day is actually going to emanate from uh, from ESPN studios, but um, 
it's you know the two biggest stories in college basketball specifically just happen now to involve these teams for completely separate uh, reasons, and it's the Zion stuff, and it's now the Bayheim stuff. Yeah, it's like that story this morning. I, I see it, and even though it's coming from a a verified Twitter account, and the link takes you to Syracuse.com, which is a legitimate, you're still like, is this real? Like what? And obviously, we now know that it that it was. Um, and by the way, smart move by ESPN to pull game day out of there because it just wouldn't work. No matter how you try to pay your respects to the victim and to the victim's family, you you can't go in a span of minutes from this somber tone, you know, you know, uh, you know explaining to the audience what happened earlier this week, and then like have Jay Will ripping off his shirt and you yeah. know predicting Duke to win and somebody shooting a half court shot trying to win whatever. Like you can't game day is a party. It's a festive, high-energy, happy party. And when you are, you know, at least partly mourning a tragic event and the results of it, to then just flip it right back into a party would feel just wrong, frankly. I I I think it'd be a hard thing to pull off without – it would be awkward, very awkward. And so whoever made that decision there, I I think it was a, a smart decision and the right decision. I don't know if I've ever told this story. And I don't tell it to, for any other reason than it's, you know, you mentioned, you know, Jim Beheim is involved in a accident that took the life of a person. I ran over a pedestrian once. Do you know that story? You have told the story on the podcast, yes. Um, he didn't die, but there's about a 30, 45 minute period where I'm sitting in a cop car and it was during the day. I was not drinking. I was not speeding the the victim to the extent that he was a victim was intoxicated and he was standing in the turning lane of a of a busy road actually Elvis Presley Boulevard and he just walked right out in front of me and I hit him but he it looked like the movies like he I hit him he hits my windshield smashes my windshield flies over my vehicle lands behind me he's just lying in the middle of the road and there's about a 30 45 minute period of time where I think I've just killed another person. And even when you know, and this is the reason I wanted to bring this up because I imagine this is the situation Jim's in right now. Even when you know it's not your fault and you know there's nothing you could have done to avoid it. Nothing reasonably you could have done to avoid it. At least that's the story we know it as of now. It still tears you apart. It it wears on you. I mean because you you know, you, you start to question, okay, like, you know, but did I do something wrong? Or God, if I'd have left the restaurant or I don't know where Jim was coming from, but if I'd have left where I was coming from five minutes earlier, maybe I don't even encounter that five minutes later, maybe I don't even encounter that. Uh, you start to just really, mm-hmm. your mind can take you to some pretty bad places. And I'm with you. I don't know if Jim plans to coach this weekend. He did not conduct practice on Thursday for what it's worth. But if, if we found out that Jim Beheim was just going to take a little time away, to process this, it would make some sense to me because I I do know what it's like to to at least spend thirty or forty five minutes watching um, um, doctors and, and and emergency technicians work on somebody lying in a street because the vehicle you were driving hit that person. Like I lived that for about thirty or forty five minutes, and it's not a it's not a good feeling, even when it's not your fault at all. No, that's absolutely. Um, you know, I've kind of been thinking about uh, about uh, Beheim and and the victim there and uh, his loved ones. That's just that's just a terrible story. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, 
we'll see what happens there. Uh, the game itself, <laughs> it's it's going to be interesting because the game itself, you know, it will be a it can it can be a good game. Syracuse is actually trying to become the just the seventh team ever to win twice over the same team in the same season when that team was ranked number one. If you follow me, uh, most recent instance of that. And shout out to Mike Waters of the Syracuse Post Standard who did reporting on the story we've been talking about here, but also this who did the research on it. The most recent example, I believe, was. UConn beating Pitt or beat or Pitt beating UConn in 2009. So it's actually been a while. It doesn't happen all that often. Syracuse has a chance to do that, um, but the game will f- will definitely feel secondary as it should in light of that news. Um, you know, Syracuse has got that win at Cameron when Cam Reddish was uh, not available and Trey Jones left the game early on, and now they might get to play Duke uh, again without Zion Williamson, which means they could have a resume. Uh, for the selection committee that has two Duke wins over it. Now, the selection committee is not going to be ignorant to the details of those games, but still, uh, if you're trying to start an at-large resume, and I know Syracuse is safely in the field right now, but um, if you've got an at-large resume with, with two wins over Duke, uh, that's a that's a great place to start. Uh, I think I'll take Duke to win the game regardless, but obviously, you know, it's uh, there's a big difference between Duke with Zion Williamson and Duke without Zion Williamson. We learned that on Wednesday night. Although I do think it's important to point out it's way different to prepare for two days and then play a game without Zion Williamson. When you've been preparing to play a game without Zion Williamson, than him leaving the game in the first minute, like you have not Mm -hmm. thought about how you would play without him. You haven't worked on how you would play without him. And then boom, he's just gone, but keep playing. And Oh, by the way, keep playing your rival and keep playing a top 10 team. And uh, Hey, there's Barack over there. So, on time to shine earlier tonight, like they asked me, Evan Washburn was like, is it is Duke just not any good without Zion? And I was like, no, I don't think they're not any good without Zion. I just think they got rattled because it, it could rattle you on a, on a few different levels. A, oh, oh no, what do we do now? And I think what you're, uh, you know, the, the easiest thing to do if you're R.J. Barrett is just go, okay, I got to go make up for this. Or if you're Cam Reddish, you go, okay, I got to go make up for this. Or if you're Trey Jones, okay, I got to go get this. As opposed to let's just play it's like, oh, we don't have Zion. I got to be the difference now. And that obviously was not a um, – that didn't work. Um, then I think on some level you're worried about your friend. Yeah, I remember – and I don't mean to keep taking these stories and piling them back to my life. Uh, but I, I remember um, playing soccer. And my, not only my teammate but my best friend suffered a horrific leg injury in the beginning of a game one time. Like broken leg, multiple places. It was bad. And I, I could barely play the rest of the soccer match when I was a kid. I was, I was probably like 15, 16 years old. Like I remember I was trying to play through tears, not because um, for any other reason that I was worried about my friend um, who I knew was just hurt. And I think that probably played a role in the Duke North Carolina game as well. So with or without Zion, I don't think the Duke team you watched Wednesday night just get run off the floor by Carolina. I don't think that team shows up. They'll look better may not be good enough to win without Zion, but I don't think they'll look as bad without Zion as they looked on Wednesday night. Does that make sense to you? It does. And just for the record, my pick, I am going to take Syracuse to win to get the, the sweep of Duke. They've got, they've got the, I think they've got the personnel to do it. And I'm going to pick them with the understanding that Zion Williamson is not going to play in this game. So you'll take Duke. I'll take Hughes. I like that for the variations of our picks. And thanks again to the, uh, the few listeners who are actually tracking this. Don't spoil the presence. Just let us know when we get to the end of the season who wound up on top. Let's move on. Number 12, Kansas at number 14, Texas Tech, Saturday, 8 o'clock Eastern. It's on ESPN and just a massive game in the Big 12 race. And 
Um, you know, I, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about the ACC race or the you know Pac-12 race because I, I don't know that nationally conference races resonate that much. Like, I don't think people in California are all that caught up in who's going to win the ACC. Is it going to be Duke or North Carolina or Virginia or somebody else? Um, but the Big 12 race is interesting because of KU's streak of 14 consecutive uh, Big 12 titles. And if they want to extend that to 15, we got a big few days because they've got at Texas Tech on Saturday, and then they come back on Monday and they host Kansas State, who is alone uh, atop the Big 12 standings right now. So if Duke can go down to Texas, I mean Kansas, can go down to Texas Tech and and steal that game because they're an underdog there, they stay at, at four losses. Texas Tech then has five losses. Then Kansas State comes to Allen Fieldhouse. You knock them out at home like you should. Now they've got four losses. So you're ahead of Texas Tech, you're ahead of Iowa State, and you're tied atop the league standings with Kansas State. And all you've got left on your schedule is Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Uh, Kansas, we might really know, um, you know, over a three-day span, Saturday to Monday, whether Kansas is going to extend this thing to 15 years or not. Yeah, and I'll uh, I'll have extended thoughts on that on the Sunday pod because I want to see how they play here. I will take Texas Tech to win uh, in Texas Tech close. Um, you know, I could wind up being wrong, but I, I feel like there's just going to be a lot of relevant games here that are going to be good and going to be close. We're overdue for a weekend like that, and Texas Tech getting this game at home. Uh, Kansas still not having not just a full roster. It's never going to have a full roster, but um, you know, with the Vic situation, he's still not back with the team, and who knows if and when he even will be. I will take Tech here. It has looked very strong as of late, and I continue to be a big Jared Culver fan, so I'll ride with Chris Beard and. Uh, uh, I do not think we will be in a situation where there will even be one walk-on on the floor at the end of the game, so we should probably avoid all of that, uh, all of those theatrics altogether. Um, I'm going to take Texas Tech as well. I mean, Kansas, uh, that, and we've talked about this previously, Bill has kept this thing you know, at, at a place where they can still you know, reasonably win the Big 12, at least a share of it, uh, despite the loss of Doak, despite the loss of LeGerald Vic, despite never getting Celia D'Souza. But uh, they've they've shown literally nothing this year that makes you think they can go beat a, you know, a top 10, top 15 team on the road. Um, Texas Tech's top 10 at Ken Palm right now. Kansas has two and six in road games this season. The only wins are at Baylor and at TCU in overtime. And so if they are to win at Texas Tech this weekend, they will be doing something they've never done this season, which is go beat a top, a currently ranked team um, in a true road environment. I'm not ruling it out as a possibility, but, um, you know, forced to pick, I'll take Texas Tech at home. And then that game at Allen Fieldhouse on Monday night between Kansas and Kansas State will be massive. Last game I want to touch on uh, Sunday, number 10, Michigan State. At number seven, Michigan tips at 345 Eastern in the afternoon. It's on CBS. That's America's most watched network, America's most awarded network. It's the network of stars. Um, we are recording this on Thursday night. Michigan was still playing while uh, we started this podcast, and I now see that Michigan won that game at Minnesota 69-60. That was a big game for Minnesota because they're very much on the bubble. They need Quadrant 1 wins. This was an opportunity. They didn't take advantage. So Michigan will be 24-3 and when it hosts Michigan State on Sunday, and Michigan State's coming off a win over Rutgers, but they were in a real fight for a while, mm -hmm. and obviously they're missing two key players now. 
Yeah, they were in uh, that, uh, you know, with all the Duke stuff, like th that didn't become a thing, uh, but it could have been. They uh, they pulled away, but, you know, Villanova lost to Georgetown. Nevada took a bad loss. So a lot of stuff that happened Wednesday just gets uh, uh, taken out with the tide because, in the, the you know, the storm that was everything Zion and Duke, uh, it just completely overwhelmed it. As for this game, and just real quick on Minnesota, like – Letdown City right now. Team has lost five of his past six, has no business being. Like, it's not a top 20 team. I'm not saying that, but it, it should be a better team than what it showed. Uh, I thought that they would get the job done on the home floor, and they didn't. And now three of the final four are on the road. Man, the bubble is always weak, but you look around at the teams that are fighting for position on the 11-12 line, and it's gross when you look at those resumes. I will take – I'm going to take Michigan State to win this one. I think Michigan State's the better team, even without Nick Ward. And I think to Izzo's, by the way, said that um, that Nick Ward, who's got the hairline fracture in his hand, it, it, three to five weeks is the hopeful timeline. That puts him back in the NCAA tournament in time. Now, we wait and see if he can do that, but I don't think they can win a national title without him. That's a, that's a significant injury because, obviously, they don't have Josh Langford for the rest of the season. But you know what? I'll, I'll take Sparty on the road. Um, Michigan's been – they've been fine. They're good. Um Rivalry game, you never know, and I sometimes like to get a little, little nuts here. So, uh, straight up, Sparty, I'll ride with him. Nah, 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 you're on the wrong side of this one. Uh, if you're struggling with Rutgers at home, you're not going to go to Michigan. <laughs> That's what they want you to think. <laughs> okay, well, that is that is actually what I think. So, uh, perhaps I'm playing right into Michigan State's hands, uh, but I'm not picking against the home team in this one. I'll take Michigan to win, and Michigan to win comfortably. Uh, we've talked for more than an hour. That feels like enough. Let's let's uh let's close up shop here and you know do another one on Sunday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And remember, go subscribe to Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. It's very simple. Those of you who have already done it, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll owe you forever. If you haven't done it yet. I'd really appreciate it if you did. It only takes about a minute. Subscribe, rate it five stars, write a nice comment, and um, and we'd appreciate it. In either way, even if you don't do that, the one thing I'm asking you to do that really doesn't take much time, even if you don't do it, it's all good. We'll be back Sunday. We'll talk to you then.